So 2 Samuel chapter 15, uh, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Make this the most attentive hour of our week. As we sit back, we want to hear from you. Lord, I pray there be less of me, more of you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, by the way, hey Matt, love you bro. So, um, 2 Samuel. As we've gone through this, we've seen the life of David. And we've seen the struggles in the life of David. And then we've seen some pretty hectic stuff in the last few chapters. We saw that David's sin was having an impact on his own family. And that's a lesson for all of us. So not only does our sin separate us from God, but our, and it can have consequences in our lives, it can impact those around us, especially if we're parents. If we, make, if we choose to live a sinful, ungodly lifestyle, we can have a huge impact on our children. Well, David, as we know, had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband put to death, had him murdered to cover his adultery, and then the baby uh, was born. Uh, they, she got pregnant through it. And then Nathan showed up and confronted David. And when he confronted David, you know, he told him a story of a little sheep and somebody had a whole bunch of sheep and he stole the other person's one little lamb that he loved. And then David said, you know, let's put that man to death. And then Nathan lets him know it's you. You're the one that had multiple wives and he stole someone else's wife. There's so many problems with that, that sentence, amen? But because of that, David had to come before the Lord. And the punishment for adultery was stoning. But God showed David grace, and he did not kill him because God wasn't done with David. But there's been consequences nonetheless. As we saw a few weeks ago, if you were here, one of his sons, Amnon, raped his own sister, Tamar. And then David did nothing. And the reason I believe David did nothing is David felt he would be a hypocrite because he had lived such a, a promisc promiscuous lifestyle of his own that maybe he didn't feel like he had the authority to speak into his kids' lives. Well, that's tragic. So two years go by, and, and Tamar's brother, who we're going to talk about a lot tonight, Absalom, is angered by the fact that there hasn't been any discipline brought on Amnon, and that Tamar's name has not been protected. This is David's daughter, and believed to be at that time his only daughter. And he doesn't stand up for her. Let me tell you right now, if you've got a daughter and you don't stand up for her, you're a horrible father. Can I get an amen to that? And as a godly man, we want to stand up for our children and we want to protect our daughters. Well, David didn't do it, so Absalom lured Amnon away and killed him. Now, once that happened, Absalom ran for his life. We know that he was, you know, banished for a couple, about three years. And finally, he wanted to come home, but David would not listen to his words. So Absalom set Joab, who's David's general, he set his field on fire to get his attention. And so as we ended last chapter, if you'll remember what happened, that David finally said, okay, bring him back. Because what did he do? He got this woman, Joab got this woman to go in and pretend that she had two sons and that one had died, and they wanted to kill the other, and she wanted the other one spared because they had died in a fight because she didn't want to be left without any sons. And so David granted it, and then we found out that that was just a story to get him to look at his own life and to get him to forgive Absalom. So he allows Absalom to come back. We saw this last week. 
He greeted him and kissed him when he saw him. But from that day forward, he wanted nothing to do with him. So from that day forward, Absalom was in the same city with his dad, but his dad would not look at him. Now again, that went on for a time, and then he finally, after burning Joab's field, he has now kissed his son. It looks like they're going to be back in fellowship again, and now we come to tonight's chapter. So you think, okay, maybe they're restored now. Absalom is the crown prince. He's the next oldest son now that Amnon is dead, at least the next oldest one mentioned. And so he's going to be the crown prince. He's going to be the next king. Certainly the two of them will work together to make the kingdom great. Sadly, that's not what happens at all. Grab your outline. We'll go through it quickly, and then we'll dig into the text. I tell the message, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. And we're going to see tonight two different approaches between Absalom and David. Absalom is still not over the fact that David did not bring justice as quickly as he should have. And so now Absalom, even though he's the son of David, even though he's the crown prince and the next in line, we're going to see him start to do everything he can to get rid of his dad and take the throne. And we're going to see how he does that. So I tell the message again, not my will, but thy will be done. And first thing we're going to see is those who want my will at any cost. There are people that want what they want, and they'll, and they'll get it at any cost. They don't care who gets hurt. They don't care who gets in the way. They're walking in the flesh. And that's going to be Absalom in tonight's text. And so those who are walking in the flesh, who want what they want, here's one of the ways they do it. This is what's going to happen in tonight's text. And this is a, a picture for us. Here's how we know if we're walking in our will and not God's will. First of all, we seek to elevate ourselves. Are you worried about making your name great? You know, the tragic part is, you know, we have shows like American Idol, uh, appropriately named, um, but you have shows where people go on to get famous, and you'll meet a 13-year-old girl, and I just want everyone to know my name, I want my own clothing line, and I want my own perfume, and I want to be known by one name like Madonna or somebody. I'm like, that's your role model, Lord help. Can I get an amen? But the reality is, here's what's happening is, we are raising people to think the more followers they have on social uh, media, or the more people that know their name, the more important that they are. Right now, we have an epidemic of young people killing themselves because they've been shamed on social media. One lady recently uh, hung herself because she didn't get enough likes when she posted a new profile picture. Guys, things are messed up. Can I get an Amen. Now, why is that happening? Because so many of us find our value in what other people think of us. So we elevate ourselves. We want to make sure that people remember our name. And we want, when we want to get the credit for anything that we do. And sadly, that's what's going to happen tonight with Absalom. Absalom is so worried, he's got one thing in mind. He wants everybody to know him. He wants, he wants to convince everybody to follow him. And he wants to get rid of his own father. So we'll see in the first nine verses, how do we do that? by promoting ourselves, by undermining God-given authority. Some of this is going to ring a bell for what's going on in the world today. Can I get an amen to that? By undermining God-given authority. By the way, the police are God-given authority. The police officer that hurt Mr., uh, uh, what's his last name? Mr. Floyd. That police officer deserves to go to jail for the rest of his life. Can I get an amen to that? But you know what? All police were placed there by God, and we are to be pro-police because God's pro-police. Can I get an Amen. Root out the bad ones and submit to the authorities of the rest of them. Amen? 
And we should be pro-police and pro-military, all of that. Now, but here's what happens. When you want your will, you don't care about authority in your life. You don't care about what your parents' authority, your teacher's authority, your boss's authority, the police's authority, the government's authority. And so you fight against authority. I want you to know when you do that, you're outside of God's will. Number three, by pursuing the praise of men, as we've talked about. By telling people what they want to hear. Absalom, we're going to see, was a politician in training. This guy was like somebody running for office. He was telling people and making promises to people he couldn't keep just to win their popularity. Does that sound like politics today? And by impatiently trying to take what's not, what's not belong to us or belong to him. So first thing, seeking to elevate ourselves. Secondly, manipulating people to gain their allegiance. We're going to see him send out spies. And he's going to get people in all 12 of the tribes that when he... When uh, Absalom is in Hebron, he's going to have it, a, a trumpet go off, and they're all going to shout Absalom's name at the same time. Why is he doing that? He's trying to lure people away from David and unto himself. Now, one thing we have to remember about Absalom, the Bible tells us that he was a good-looking man, and he was a charismatic man, perfect guy to run for president, amen? He's a guy that's good-looking, he's charismatic, people are drawn to him, David's getting older at this point, David's probably in his late 50s by now, and so here we have David, and here we have this young guy coming along, and he's telling people what they want to hear, and making promises to them to undermine the authority that God has over him, both his father and the king that he should be serving. He's also going to, here's something else we need to be careful about, boy this hit home this chapter this week, I've been studying it all week. One of them is, he gets a group of men to follow him, and they don't know where they're going or what they're doing, and people just assume that he agrees with him going against uh, King David because they say nothing. So guys, the world wants to shut you up and have you say nothing. Can I get an amen to that? And they'll get you to the place where you're afraid to speak up for the truth of the gospel because you're afraid of what somebody might say. We don't need to be, we don't need to be quiet about the gospel. Can I get an Amen. Truth and love, always, both of those things. Don't be an obnoxious jerk. You know, be kind, be loving, be gracious, but be bold for the Lord, amen? You know what the world needs right now? The world needs Jesus, amen? The world needs Jesus. We need him to intervene. But here's the reality. That will only happen when we fall on our faces and submit to the Lord fully, amen? And Lord, do whatever you need to do to humble our nation. A flu bug brought us to our knees. Maybe we need something greater than that. Whatever it's going to take to get our eyes back on Jesus, Lord, bring it. Amen? And here's, here's he's, he would fit, I mean, Absalom would be a great guy in Antifa. I mean, this guy, he just is overcoming authority. He's rejecting everything. He wants all the focus on himself. He tries to get those closest to the one in authority to come over to his side. He's going to get Ahithophel. He's one of David's men. Hushai. He's going to try to drag these guys over because if I get the king's uh, counselors on my side, then I can overthrow the king. You know, one of the things I've always done, I, I, you know, I'm not sure why I've always done it, but I've always done it. I've always called, the, I'm a sale, I've been in sales, same company, 32 years, and I've probably had 10 different managers in that time. I've called every one of them boss. When I pick up the phone, hey boss, and I call him boss. And I do that just to, to, as a, a sign of honor to them but also to remind me every time I talk to them that this man or this woman who I happen to be working for at the time has authority in my life. And I want to be a good steward and I want to honor Jesus. So when they ask me to do something, and, and no one's ever asked me to do it, well, one time they asked me to work 
call on an abortion clinic, and we had to have a conversation about that. But other than that, it's, yeah, I want to do my job as unto the Lord. I want to honor the Lord. Amen? Well, we're going to see Absalom do just the opposite. He's going to tear down that position of authority. Boy, there's nothing new under the sun. And then by attacking the authority of hopes that those people will retreat. Here's what happens. When you make a stand for what is right, there will be people who try to shout you down to shut you up. Amen? And that's happening also right now. Where if you don't believe that rioting and burning buildings down is okay, then somehow maybe you're a racist. Guys, that's not, a, that's not racist to say that burning down buildings is wrong. Can I get an amen to that? By the way, as Christians, our race should have nothing to do with anything. What I mean by that is man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen? We're all one in Christ. We're all brother. I got more melanin or less melanin than some of you. Who cares? But the world leads with that. You know, the first thing is that I'm of this race or this background. You know, you got the white supremacists on one end, you know, and we're, we want to keep it. Stop it already. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to be kind and loving and gracious and see all people the exact same way. And so we're going to see, though, that he's going to attack in hopes of getting King David to retreat. And there will be those who will attack us to try to keep us quiet about our faith. You're not supposed to talk about religion or politics at work. Okay, fine, we can have politics. I'm going to talk about Jesus every day. Can I get an amen to that? How can you keep us silent? We don't check our faith at the door. Can I get an amen? When you walk into the office tomorrow or when you're on your Zoom meeting tomorrow at work or whatever it might be, the Holy Spirit would just showed up into the building when you got there. And we need to be salt and light wherever we are and not undermining authority but honoring those in authority. Now, we're going to see the office. That's Absalom. Absalom's going after David's throne. Then we're going to see how David responds. And David is such an enigma to me because sometimes he's fighting giants and other times he's sparing Saul. And other times, he's committing adultery. And other times, he's lying and pretending to be a madman to get away. So David's all over the map, and in some ways, doesn't that sound like our lives? That sometimes we can be on fire for God, and other times, we cannot be where we should be spiritually. Can I get an amen to that? And so David, at this point, is going to blow me away tonight. Because what David's going to do when his son attacks, he's not going to fight back at least not right away. And he's gonna, not going to try to strive for what belongs to him. You know, the one thing that David seemed to get right his entire life was how the king should, should uh, rule. Because when Saul was the king, he never fought for his position. And now that he is the king, he doesn't try to hold on to it. He believes that, that the Lord can take him out of it anytime he wants to. And so the last four points, learning to trust the sovereignty of God, by avoiding conflict to seek the Lord. So the attack's going to come, and David is the rightful king, and he could have mounted up the armies, and there could have been a bloody massacre in Jerusalem. And instead, giving it away a little bit, David's going to leave Jerusalem, and he's going to go out into the wilderness, and he's going to take some time away and he's going to seek the Lord. Boy, that's hard to do when you are the rightful king, and your own son is the one coming against you. We're also going to see by focusing on God's glory, not our desires. Guys, it's not about us. Amen? Hopefully they forget our name and remember his. Amen? 
Uh, number six, by being willing to let go of everything to obey the Lord. David was the king. He had waited 15 years to become king after he was anointed king. He waited some more years to, to reunite all of Israel. He is finally king. He's been king for some time. We get to this chapter. But now, at a moment's notice, he's willing to let go of being king if that's what God wants. Guys, we should be willing to let go of anything. Can I get an amen to that? God may show up tomorrow and want you to move, but God may show up and want you to do something different. I got to tell you something. I was, I was reading through this chapter, and I see we're going to see David walking out of Jerusalem. He's going to walk up Mount, Mount, the Mount of Olives. He's going to go over the brook Kidron. He's going to walk up the Mount of Olives. If you've ever been to Israel, it's one of the most beautiful sights on this planet. He's going to be up on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to look back at the city of Jerusalem, and there's this palace, and there's this beautiful city where he's been king, and he's walking away from it, and he begins to weep. Because he was willing, he knew, he, even though he loved it, he was willing to let it go if that's what God wanted. And then finally, by seeking wisdom from the Lord in prayer. See, David's responding by avoiding conflict, by focusing on the Lord, by willing to be willing to let go, by seeking wisdom from the Lord in prayer, and Absalom's doing the opposite, just elevating himself, manipulating people, and attacking authority. Which one of those sounds like you? Which one of those sounds like me? Especially the world we're living in today. So let's begin there in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 15. Not my will, but thy will be done. First, we're going to see the selfish Absalom seeking uh, his own will at any cost. So the last chapter ends. David kisses his son. He's welcomed him back. They're now going to be able to communicate. They hadn't been talking or seeing each other the whole time he'd been in, in Israel. And it doesn't take very long. Look at verse 1. After this, we don't know how long it's been. It's been some time. It happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. When Absalom came back to Israel, he was looked at as the son who has been banished. No doubt the people knew that he was the son that killed his own brother. And he was the son who for three years had lived with his mother's father, with his grandfather, far away. Now he has come home. And for a while when he was home, he was a second-class citizen. He wasn't invited to the family dinners. He wasn't in the parades. He was set apart and had to kind of look from the outside. He could look up and see David walking on the palace. He had no relationship with him. Well, now that the relationship's been restored, Absalom's going to put it on full press to make sure everybody notices him. And they don't think of him as the banished son, but the crown prince. So how does he do that? He creates a parade for himself that follows him everywhere he goes. He gets chariots. Now, first of all, chariots are used to go fast. They're used to fight in battles. They're used to travel great distances or to go short distances very quickly. So it doesn't make any sense that he's got this, you know, the equivalent of a modern-day tank, right? Something you would use in battle. And he puts 50 men in front of him to run before it. Well, men can't go as fast as groups of horses. So that means the chariots have to go slow to stay behind the men. But that's exactly what Absalom wants. He wants people to see him coming through town 
with men going before him as if he were honored to be at the back of the parade everywhere he goes and to have everybody looking on him with his shiny armor in this beautiful chariot as he goes wherever he goes through town. So when people see him going by, oh, there's Absalom, the crown prince. Not the banished son, the crown prince. He's making a name for himself. He wants everybody to notice him. He'd be like the kid on American Idol. I want everyone to know my name and I want my own clothing line and my own perfume, right? And here he is just trying to get people's attention. Everybody look at me, look at me, look at me. So Absalom, next in line for the kingdom, should have been serving alongside the king, and instead he's trying to make a name for himself. Now one thing different about, majorly different about Absalom, Absalom believed he deserved the throne. King David was given the throne by Almighty God, and then he waited 15 years to get the throne. He was patient because even though the Lord anointed him, he knew it was in the Lord's timing. Absalom is the crown prince. He is the next in line to be the king, but he's not willing to wait. One of the hardest things for us to do sometimes is wait. Can I get an amen? You want to be married, God tells you to wait. You want that promotion at work, God tells you to wait. You're going through something, uh, physical therapy on your shoulder, and you want it fixed now, and God says, not so quick. Amen? Be still. And so waiting, and, and Absalom could have had everything he desired if he had just waited and come alongside his father and restored that relationship, but Absalom is so about himself, he cares about no one, he just wants what he wants. Now, no doubt a part of Absalom legitimately thinks that David is a poor judge. Why? Because he did nothing when Tamar was raped by her own brother. So in his own mind, he could be legitimizing. He's a horrible judge. He's not doing the right things. I should be the person in that position of authority. Absalom seeks not the will of God, but to steal the hearts of the people. And so he's got to figure out, well, how can I become king? I got to let people notice me. I got to get them to the point where they're crying out for me. I'm already good looking. Now I got to have a way that everywhere I go, they stop and they turn and put their focus on me because it's all about me when it should be all about God. Amen. And so what happens? By the way, instead of faithfulness to the king and authority of God placed over him, Absalom seeks the praise of men and to elevate himself. There's some Bible verses that address that. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So Absalom's plan is to undermine his dad's position of authority and to win the praise of men. And so how he's going to go about it, it's already started as, again, he's going to use his good looks. He's going to make sure everyone takes notice by creating his own entourage. He wants to, everywhere he goes, 50 guys going in front of him. Everywhere he goes, riding a chariot. Everywhere he goes, making a spectacle. So you can't miss him when he comes by. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you're going to stop and notice him when he goes by. And he wants that kind of attention. Absalom has created, again, his own entourage, making sure he is noticed. As clear notification, he's moved from banished outcasts to crown prince. You know, maybe if he had stopped there, it might have been okay. But having, to, having gained their attention, now he wants to gain their alliance. Look at verse 2. So now he's got their attention. Good-looking Rico Suave, Absalom's in town. Everywhere he goes, he's on a chair. 
fit. He's got, you know, he's got gold armor on, looking good, man. That guy, that guy's yoked. That guy's a stud. That's the guy. And, and they're all looking at him. They're all focused on him. And now that he's got them noticing him, now he wants them to take their allegiance away from David and give it to him. So how's he going to do that? Let's read verses 2 through 4. It says, Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And so it was when anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has a suit or a cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. I've been to, if you've ever been to Israel, the city gates to every city, I, I almost got a picture of my, me and my dad to put up, because I have picture me and my dad at the city of Dan. We're actually sitting where the elders would sit. It, so when you'd come into the gate of the city, either right in front of it or off to the side, there'd be like a bench, a very long one. And sitting there would be the city elders. So as people were coming into the city, they could stop at the gate or if they're in the city, they knew they could go to the gate and they would come with any dispute they had. Sometimes they'd come with the other party and the people, the elders that were there who represented the king would listen to them and then make a judgment. So what Absalom does, as people are coming toward that spot, he would be off to the side. Hey, where are you from, bro? Come on over here for a second. Tell me. What, what's going on? Well, this is what's going on. No matter what they said, oh, bro, you've got a great case. You're the righteous one in this one. He would tell them whatever they wanted to hear. Why? Because he wanted to get them to give their allegiance to him. Because then he follows up there in verse 4 and says, oh, if I were in charge, I would be able to judge immediately. Now, the king doesn't have anybody out here. He's too busy for you. Kind of what he's saying, right? The king doesn't have anybody out here. The king's too busy for you. I would never be too busy for you. If I were, if I were the judge, I would make judgment for you right now. So what's he trying to do? He's trying to get people who are in a tough situation to move their allegiance from the king to him. The same thing happens in the world today. People get whipped up about things. They... they protest, they riot, or they, they uh, you know, filibuster in Congress, or whatever it might be, and they got one thing in mind, quit honoring the authority and listen to me instead. Quit honoring the laws that are put before you and, and listen to what I think. And that's exactly what Absalom is doing. He's trying to draw the crowd away from the king and unto himself. So again, much like City Hall, this is where all the judgment would take place. And Adam would get up early in the morning. He wasn't afraid to work. He knew that he had a job cut out in front of him. And again, it was making him know, like a typical politician, oh, the guy that's in office now, he won't do anything for you. But if I were in office, I would do everything for you. Well, you know what? I've been through a lot of presidential elections and, and government election, governor elections. And you know what? I don't know anybody who's kept all their promises. Can I get an amen to that? Because they'll tell you anything to get power, and then once they get the power, they'll forget your name. Can I get an amen? 
They just want what they want. They'll say whatever they got to say to get what they want. And then once they get what they want, a lot of times they get amnesia. Well, Absalom's no different. But Absalom is a good politician. He's telling people what they want to hear. He's trying to, so he's going through town in his chariot. Everybody sees him. Who's that? That's Absalom. Wasn't he banished? Oh, he's back. Isn't he good looking? Look at him. He's powerful. Man, he's going to be a great king one day. And then he's at the city gate and everybody coming from everywhere to Jerusalem. He's drawing them in and saying, if, you, if I were in charge, if I could judge in the land. And again, it could be that he's still bitter over what happened with Tamar and his banishment. And I get that. But Absalom wants to see that David isn't just in his judgment and that he would be. So switch your allegiance to me. By the way, anybody who will tell me everything I want to hear is somebody that I know I can't trust. Can I get an amen to that? You know, there are churches that will tell you everything you want to hear. You'll walk in, they'll tell you you're the most beautiful person on the face of the earth, and God is so amazed that he's blessed to have you on his side, and what would he do without you? You know, and if you just believe it by faith, God will have to give it to you because you're so amazing. We're all a bunch of stinking sinners in, need of a de- in desperate need of a Savior. Can I get an amen to that? Now, if we've been born again, we're new creations in Christ, and we are holy in the Lord. Amen? So Absalom's not going to give up here. Watch what happens. Verse 5 and 6. So it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, they put out his hand and took him and kissed him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So when they would come by and go to bow to the crown prince, instead he would grab them, pull them next to him, and hug them and kiss them. And what he was basically saying is, don't bow to me. You know, I'm not the king. I'm just one of you. And he, he would put his arm around him, and get that person, you know, to say, boy, that Absalom's amazing. You know, he's the crown prince, and he wouldn't even let me bow to him. Now, it can all look from the surface like he's really a good guy. But look what it says at the end of that verse. What does it say at the end of, of verse uh, 6? So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Who's he stealing them from? From David. He's stealing them from David. By the way, The Bible says that David is the greatest king that Israel ever had. So guess what? David is the greatest king that Israel ever had. And yet people still were going to choose a a, a usurper over the greatest king that ever lived. There's nothing new under the sun. Amen? No matter how the Lord may be using somebody, there's always going to be somebody attacking them. And that's exactly what's happening here. Absalom is attempting to appear as a man of the people, again, not letting them bow, would lift them up, embrace them, and I can almost hear him saying, I'm just one of you. So he's just portraying an image. Here's what what he's done so far. He's good looking. He's charismatic. He's a man of the people. I can help you, but only if I'm in the place of a judge. And Absalom knew how to project an image, and Israel was quick to... uh, move their, look for a a man to follow. Because remember, who was the king before David? Who was it? King Saul. Why did they pick Saul? Good looking and taller than anybody else. Absalom is Saul part two. He's another man who people are going to align themselves with and has nothing to do with God's calling on his life, but his outward appearance. 
Guys, there's nothing new under the sun. So Absalom steals the heart of, hearts of Israel. His cunning campaign had worked. He became more loved and more popular than David. Absalom gained their attention, and now he's got their allegiance. He makes false promises in order to gain power, and he's promoting discontent with the king. And Absalom's undermining God's anointed king. By the way, they went after the king of kings, didn't they? When Jesus came. And you know what? Just because someone's attacking somebody doesn't mean that person they're attacking is wrong. And certainly not in these cases. Can I get an amen? So David rejected it. David had been rejected, excuse me, just as the son of man would be. Look at verse 7. And it says there, Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. Now there's some debate about that 40 years. 40 years since what? Has David been ruling for 40 years at the end of his reign? It could be that it's Absalom's 40th birthday. We don't really know exactly. But after some time, after he's got the allegiance of the men, he comes in pretending he has to do something godly. I need to go down and worship God in Hebron. And David is going to give him his permission to do so. But this is all a part of his plan to undermine David's authority. And look what it says there in verse 8. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Geshur. That's where he was hiding out for three years when he was in banishment. In Syria, saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, go in peace. So he, went, so he went, arose and went to Hebron. Two possibilities here. I think one's pretty clear, but it could be that Absalom actually did make a vow to the Lord. Hey, Lord, as he was praying when he was down there in, in Hebron, Lord, if you will, in Syria, excuse me, Lord, if you'll let me get back to Jerusalem, I promise you I will serve you and I will uh, make sure to pay, make a vow before you and come and make sacrifices before you. That's possible. I'm not, I don't think so. I think what really happened is the other option, which is Absalom is just flat out lying. I think Absalom was lying. I think that there are a lot of people who will use religious talk to try to persuade you, you know, but how do I know the real truth? The Bible says this in Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Does it sound like the, the actions that Absalom is taking, that he is walking in the center of God's will and he's spirit-filled? He's trying to alienate the people from the king that was appointed by God. He's going around trying to make a name for himself and have everybody look at him when they should be looking to the Lord. By your fruit they shall know you. So he uses a religious reason to leave and go down to Hebron and make a sacrifice. Well, the sad part is, the last three words in verse 9R, or not, not the last three, he said to him, what? What did David say? Go in peace. Guess what? These are the last three words David will ever say to his son. David does not suspect. If he does, he's certainly not reacting to it. He's treating his son with love and grace and mercy. His son comes to him and says, hey, dad, 
When I was in Syria those three years, I made a vow to God if he would bring me back that I would go and make sacrifice. And dad, I need to go do that. And David says to his son, go in peace. Imagine a smile on his face, hugging his son, waving to him as he rides away. And as he's riding away, Absalom is plotting to kill his own father or to at the very least chase him away so that he can overtake the throne. His own son. Continued consequences. Here's the other thing. You know, David is going to respond here in a minute when things get more heated. But I think David continues in some ways to recognize that the Lord had told him the sword would never leave his house and that there would always be difficulty in his house because of what he did with Bathsheba. And so David may have even suspected. We don't know. There's no way to read it into the text. But he says, go in peace to his son, and he will never, ever talk to his son again. And it's so tragic, after they've, you know, quote, kissed and made up, that this is how things change so quickly. So point number two, point number one is seeking to elevate ourselves. David, uh, uh, Absalom's been, that's has been his whole plan. Everybody look at me, everybody remember me, let me get your allegiance toward me, I want you to turn away from the king to follow me, I want you to take your eyes off the authorities placed over you and place them on me, I want, I want it to be about me. Absalom's three favorite people, me, myself, and I. So verse 10, he's going to manipulate people to gain their allegiance. Now, he's got people looking toward him, but not enough. He's going to need more. He's going to need an army. He's going to need enough to turn toward him that David didn't just wipe them out. Look at verse 10. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. So these spies go into the land, and they say, Hey, when you hear the horn, just shout it out that Absalom reigns in Hebron. Basically say, Absalom is the rightful king. And he went around and they told people and they convinced them all to say it. And so when everybody shouts it all together, if enough people say it, some people are going to start believing it. By the way, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Can I get an amen? I tell people it's the bathroom wall of America. You can write anything on the bathroom wall you want. You can write anything you want on the internet. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that we don't want to, we don't want to look at the bathroom wall for our theology. Or for the direction for our life. We want to look to the word of God. Amen? And here it is. They've got people stirred up. And the trumpet blows. And you've got a bunch of lemmings just shouting out what they're told to shout out. And guys, look. We want to be loving and kind and gracious. But we don't want to be told what to believe and how to believe it. Contrary to the word of God. So that men will not look badly upon us. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my namesake, but so they did the prophets who went before you. If we've never been, you know, faced any persecution, we're not living out loud enough for Jesus. Can I get an amen? And here, Absalom's getting people to align with him who don't even know what they're doing. It's going to get worse. Look at verse 11. And Absalom went 200, went, went, and with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently, and they didn't know anything. So what happens is David's taking a trip because he's the crown prince. Hey, guys, I need some people to ride along with me. He may have told them just so I don't get robbed. Who knows what he told him? But when David leaves town, he's in that chariot. He's got 200 guys going in front of him, 
And it sure looks like they're all on his side. They found out later that that people are clamoring for him to be king. And some of them, they believe that some of them were the more influential people in Jerusalem. And they're going with him. And they have no idea that he's making it look like they're on his side. We need to be careful that we don't allow people to manipulate us to align with anything that is contrary to the word of God. Can I get an amen to that? It can be something simple. I don't, look, maybe you do. I don't. AARP, right? They, I'm, I'm getting to that age. They send me something like every week. Dude, you're old, sign up. 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 And look up their politics. They're one of the biggest contributors to Planned Parenthood. They're never going to see a dime from me. No thanks. Not helping people kill babies. Can I get an amen to that? I want no part of you. And the point is, if we're ignorant to it, that's fine once we know it. And the point is, we don't have to just align with something because everybody thinks we should. I'm aligning with Jesus and to heck with the rest of it. Amen? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's honor God. Let's be unashamed of the gospel. So he's got 200 guys marching in front of him. They don't know what the heck's going on. Sometimes, you know, politicians have a rally and they'll pay people to be there and they're holding up a sign. They don't even know what they're doing. I got 50 bucks. That's why I'm here. You know what I mean? And there's this mentality that people, and these guys just are, think they're just going with them to go down and, and, and worship and make this vow, you know, be faithful to this vow to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, let's go. We're going with the crown prince. We're going down to worship the Lord. And in the meantime, he's going to make it look like these guys are all with him. You know what that does? It gets other people to join. That's what, they, that's what Absalom is up to. Now watch. It's not good enough just to have the 200 men. Verse 12. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Who knows who Ahithophel is? We've talked about him a lot in Samuel. Who is he? What's that? David's advisor. Ahithophel is the guy that David would seek counsel from. Ahithophel has a granddaughter. Guess what her name is? Bathsheba. And I have an idea. Absalom to get a hit the fell on his side, hey, a hit the fell. You know, King David, you know, my dad, dude, he committed adultery with your granddaughter. He killed her husband. And then my sister, you know, got raped. He didn't do anything about it. And a hit the fell's ear. We're going to see more from a hit the fell later. But he's going to get a hit the fell to line up with him. It says there, David's counselor from his city from Gilo, when he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. There it is. He starts by whispering in ears at the gate of the city. Got a few more people on my side. He's going through town looking, you know, good-looking Rico Suave Absalom, and he's, on, he's wearing his armor, and he's in his chariot, and he's got men running in front of him. Oh, that Absalom, he's going to be a great king one day. And then he leaves town, and he's got an army of 200 men going before him. As he goes out of town, he probably took the long route to make sure everybody saw him. Now, and now the word's going out. Then he gets Ahithophel, one of David's counselors, to come over onto his side. The numbers are growing and growing and growing, and before you know it, Absalom's going to have more people on his side than David has on his side. Here's one problem with the whole equation, Absalom. God's on David's side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? 
So Absalom is think, thinks he's going to just overpower the situation. So he's gaining momentum in a big way. It's grassroots, right? He's running for office. It's a grassroots campaign. He sent spies out to Absalom reigns in Hebron. I heard that somewhere. I heard Absalom was reigning already. Where did I hear that? Oh, I heard some people shouting that. It must have been everybody. I guess he is the king. And some of them, because he was the crown prince, might have thought David stepped down. They don't know. You get further and further away. You, don't, you know, they didn't have social media back then. He's got these innocent men walking alongside him. Now, you know why they look like they're with him? Because they don't speak up. And guys, if we remain silent when we're staring the truth in the face, we can make it look like we're aligning with the lie. Can I get an amen to that? One of the latest things that, that some radicals want to do, they want to tear down all the statues of Jesus because they say it's a sign of white supremacy because he's white. <laughs> then we've lost our minds. Can I get an amen to that? Now again, Mr. Floyd, that should have never happened. Can I get an amen to that? And 99% of the people in this country don't believe that nonsense that's way out there on the fringe. But what happens is fringe people say it enough and they get people to act like, because they're afraid to speak against it. Hitler killing the Jews. People said by and said nothing. You know when evil happens? When good people say nothing. Can I get an amen? So there's a time we need to speak up and say, no, that's evil, that's wrong. What happened to Mr. Floyd is wrong. That, that police officer needs to go to jail. What happens with you know, taking over the city of Seattle? You've got to be kidding me. They're lucky I'm not the mayor. I wouldn't know what happened to him in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? And what's a comedy is they, the first thing they did was build a wall. Is that comedy or what? We shouldn't build walls, but we're going to take over the city, and the first thing we're going to do is build a wall. So here's Absalom. This guy cares about nobody but himself. He's just looking to, to gather up an army so he can fight against his own father. So, from the first half, we saw selfishly seeking your will at any cost. That, that's Absalom. Now is David going to respond? You know, more and more people running to Absalom's side. They're shouting out, Absalom is, you know, Absalom's in Hebron. Oh, they're shouting out for Absalom. There's armies going out before him. Hit the fells now running with him. There's more and more people on his side. What's David going to do? Now, David's not going to do what I would have thought he would have done. If I had never read this chapter, and I just read these verses, and someone said, what do you think David's going to do? I said, I'm going to think he's going to, he's going to treat his own son like Goliath. Can I get an amen? He's going to go out there because God is for him, and he's not going to, he's not going to bend. That's not what David does. Look at verse 13. Learning to trust in the sovereignty of God by avoiding conflict to seek the Lord is the next part. But first, by attacking the authority in hopes they will retreat. So here's what Absalom's final thing now is he's going to attack the authority in hoping that the authority will run away and just let him become the king. If I can get enough guys, we won't even have to have a battle. Maybe my dad will retreat. Now, a messenger came to David and said, the hearts of men in Israel are with Absalom. You can just read through that. But can you imagine... You're the king of Israel. You're where God wants you to be. You've repented for where you failed. You know there's, there's, there's further consequences coming because of choices you've made. But then word comes to you that your own son has stolen the hearts of the people and he wants to run you out of town. I can't imagine if I heard that one of my sons was doing that to me, how I would respond. Now watch what David does. 14. 14. 
So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. This is the same David who stood up to Goliath, and now he's going to run from his own son. And at first glance, and it could even be interpreted this way, it looks like he's just being a wimp. But we're going to see as we move through the verses that the last thing David wants is a bloody mess in Jerusalem. The last thing he wants is his men mounted up against Absalom's men and God's people all fighting with each other and slaughtering each other. So David is, would rather retreat and go seek the Lord's wisdom and direction than get caught up, get angry, and go out and fight his own son and have this huge battle in the city. Again, the first time I read through, when I, when I teach a chapter, I'll read through it 10 times. So tonight I'll read through 2 Thessalonians, next chapter, 10 times. So I start reading through it. So I read this last Monday, and the first time I read it, I'm just reading through it. Without putting anything down, I just read through it. And I get to this verse, and I'm like, David, you wimp. I mean, I'm just being honest, okay? I'm reading, I'm like, what a wimp, dude. Suck it up, man. Man up. That's your son, man. Just get your army together. You slayed Goliath, you can take him out. David's not doing that. David's going to retreat. And again, we're going to see in the end that God is going to show him favor. When resolving conflict, there's two, there's two things you can do. You can attack or you can retreat. And there's words for both. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In some cases, we need to get in the same room and fix this. And in some cases, again, it's wise to retreat and pray and make sure you don't respond in the flesh. Can I get an amen to that? says in Matthew, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other also. So here it is. David's in this situation. He flees. He, and now, by the way, is he, does, it, does it sound like he's surprised that his son did this? Nowhere does it say, oh, no, not Absalom. That's my boy. He wouldn't do that. That's not in here. And as soon as he hears it, what does he say? We got to get out of here. Because you know what? He knows Absalom well enough to know not only would he do this, but if he got to town, he would kill David. He knows that that's the relationship he has with his son. And again, some of this is consequences of what happened with Bathsheba. So he's going to step back for a moment. That can be a good thing. Seek the Lord. I would say this. If, you don't, if you're going to respond in the flesh, step back, seek the Lord, read the word, get godly counsel, and at some point the issue must be dealt with. But it should be dealt with under lead. Guys, if you're going to re- respond in the flesh, you should step back. Can I get an amen to that? You know when it's the flesh and you know when it's the spirit. Right? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if you're fired up and red and you got blood, you got blood vessels you know, popping all over your face and stuff, uh, time to back away for a minute. Can I get an amen? Because if you respond in anger, you're not going to respond the right way. So David hears it. And David says to all his servants, we got to go. We got to go. Verse 15. By the way, he's going to strike the city. David cares about Jerusalem. Why does David care about Jerusalem? Why is that? What's significant about Jerusalem? It's his home. What, what's in Jerusalem at this point? The Ark of the Covenant. It's the place people came to worship. It's where the priests made the sacrifices, right? And so 
David knows that, and he doesn't want that destroyed. And he doesn't want Jerusalem to be defiled. God, God brought him there. It's a city of David. He doesn't want there to be this battle taking place in the middle of the city. He's going to retreat out into the wilderness, so if there is a battle, it doesn't play, take place in the city. So that's what David does, verse 15. And the king's servants said to him, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him, but the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. Now the fact that he left people to keep the house, what does that tell you? He thinks he might be coming back. Can I get an amen to that? See, he's not bailing forever, but he realizes at the moment it's a good time to take a step back and make sure I hear from the Lord and I'm not responding in my flesh, but I'm responding in the power of the Holy Spirit and I'm doing what God... We already know Absalom is Mr. Flesh. And if you have two fleshly people and you put them in the same room, it's not going to end well. So David's taking a step back. He leaves... Ten of his wives and concubines. There's so many problems with this question. That sentence right there. You got ten wives and concubines, bro. And we're going to see what Absalom does with that next chapter. Not good. Then it says there, And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. And all the servants passed before him, all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, all the Githites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Here's what you're going to notice. As David leaves the city, the only people leaving with him are his servants and a bunch of foreigners. We don't see any of his own people coming alongside him. Remember, David had his own mighty men. Remember that? They were in caves together, and they were with David when he was on the run. You know what? You find out who your real friends are when you're in a situation where it's going to cost them something to go with you. Can I get an amen? And David is the king, the greatest king Israel's ever had. But when David is leaving, nobody really feels all that fired up to go with him. It's only his own servants, his, his immediate family, and the 600 guys from other countries that go out with David. So David is basically, again, on his own. His own people have somewhat, to a certain degree, have abandoned him. And again, these men that went with them had a connection with David that dated back to when, again, he was running from Saul. But I want you to notice something as we continue to read on. It says there in verse 20, in fact, oh, pass before the king, verse 19. Now we're going on to how does David respond, learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. So he's got his 600 men. He's got a few people from his home. Most of the people from his own city aren't going with him. And the king said to Atai, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king. For you're a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. We're going to see in a moment, Ittai had just shown up to Jerusalem. He had just gotten to town. In a short amount of time, he had aligned himself with David. David's leaving town. He wants to go with him. And David says to him, Hey, bro, you barely know me. You don't need to be going up and down through the wilderness with me. Just stay here. You brought your family here. You brought people here. Just stay here. While Absalom is trying to attract men unto himself to make himself great, David is thinking of others before he thinks about himself. Could David use some more guys on his side? What's the answer? But David knows that God's on his side. And David doesn't have to mount up an army because he knows that he by himself, under the power of the Holy Spirit, 
slay Goliath and sent the entire Philistine army running. Amen? God is for me. Who can be against me? But he has these guys who are willing to go with him. But he basically says, bro, we barely know each other. You don't have to put your life on the line for me. Just stay in Jerusalem. Now watch verse 21. But Atiyah answered and said, As the Lord lives, as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also shall your servant be. What does he say about four, four or five times in that verse? The king. The king. Wherever the king lives. Wherever the king. He makes it very clear that he knows who the king is. And it's not Absalom. And he says, wherever the true king goes, I'm going there. Whatever the true king, wherever the true king uh, fights, I'll go fight with the king. If the true king's going to die, I'll die with the king. And you know what, guys? That ought to be a heart, our heart as Christians for the king of kings. Can I get an amen? That we will follow him anywhere. We will obey him always. And even if it's going to cost us something to do it, we're going to be faithful to the Lord. David, the giant slayer, the mighty warrior, the man of God's own heart, the ancestor of Jesus, the only foreigner standing with him, but praise God that this man who barely knew him saw that there was something different about him, and he was willing to lay down his life for him. You know what? When we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Amen? And in a short amount of time, you could, your heart can be knit to someone else's when you have the Lord in common. And again, Again, he's urging him to go home because he's focused more on others than he is himself. Atiyah knows the honor of loyalty. I found this. It's old. An English publication offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. There were thousands of entries received, and some were the following. One who multiplies joy and divides grief. Okay. One who understands our silence. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. Here's the, here's the entry that won the prize. A friend is one who comes in when everyone else is going out. Amen? A friend is one who runs to you when everybody's running from you. A friend is someone who comes and puts their arm around you and stands next to you in your most difficult time. The Word of God tells us that a friend is a friend at all times, but a brother was born for adversity. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be running to the people who are hurting, not running from them. Can I get an amen? And that's what's happening here with Atiyah. He's going to stand with David. You know, many pledged allegiance to David when he was in the palace. Where are they now? You're in the palace, dude. I'm with you, man. You got money, you got influence. You got, some, you got some amazing food. I'm hanging with you, bro. Lose the house. Lose the chariots. Lose the position. Lose the authority. They forget your name. Can I get an amen to that? And that's what's happening to King David. Some of these guys that were praising his name have forgotten him that quickly. You know, at one point in his ministry, Jesus was saying some things that some people didn't like. And some of the many people who had begun to follow him stopped following him. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away too? But Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Guys, if you're in the midst of difficulty, who in the world else are you going to turn to? Amen? To whom else would you run to when you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, Almighty God, the creator of the universe? Jesus is my best friend. Can I get an amen? Who else are we going to run to? 
In the midst of difficulty, we can run to the Lord and we can run from him. You know, true faith goes beyond fair-weather Christianity. Real faith truly follows Jesus, stands with the Lord when nobody else will, stands, stands publicly, openly, and unashamedly professing our faith without compromise, knowing that being linked to Jesus and following him will cost us something. He died on the cross for us. Guys, we, should need, we must stand for him. Amen? His name is mocked. Always. There needs to be a voice when his name is mocked to, to speak the truth, and that's us. Amen? Unashamed of the gospel. Verse 22. So David said to Atiah, go and cross over. And Atiah the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over, brought his whole family. And the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. And the king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the wilderness of Zin. This right here was a tough spot for David. Again, this you only understand if you've been to Israel. So the Mount of Olives, where Jesus in Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus would go to pray, is just right outside of Jerusalem. So when you come out of Jerusalem, you go, you go down and you cross over the brook Kidron. And then you go up the Mount of Olives, and it, it ascends like this. And, and part, part of the way up the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would get away to pray. So when they arrested him, and they came from Jerusalem with torches in their hands, Jesus saw him coming. And when they came to him, and you know, he said, I am, and they all fell over. You know, they didn't, Jesus wasn't hiding from anybody. But at this point, David keeps walking. And we're going to see that he's walking barefooted, and he's in mourning. He's wearing mourning clothes. And he walks away, and he's going to get to the top of the hill. He's going to look back at Jerusalem, and he's going to weep. Because he knows that's where he was supposed to be. And that's where God had called him to be. And walking away from something God has called you to do, even if God is calling you to do something else, is very difficult. The most difficult thing I've ever done in ministry is say goodbye to people I'm ministering to. It was hard, the two different youth groups that I left. I was a weeping mess. Right, had 10 years in Lancaster and had to tell all those kids goodbye. So difficult. Five years in San Jose when I told those people goodbye. So difficult. The hardest by far was Santa Cruz where I would always say, I'm going to be here the rest of my life. And then getting up on a Sunday morning and letting them all know that I'm not leaving the ministry. I'm just moving it to my family. And I said, I know that at some point, somewhere in my life, I'm going to be teaching the Bible again to somebody because I know God's not done with me. And praise God, it's you guys. Can I get an amen? But the reality is that when you step away, even if you know it's what God wants, it breaks your heart. And David's heart is broken here. And he's being chased out of town by his own son. It's heavy-duty stuff. Let's finish up. Verse 24. So now he's going to, by focusing on God's glory, not his own desires. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him. What are the Levites and Zadok? What are they? They're priests bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God, and Abiathar went up, uh, up until all the people had finished crossing over the city. Then the king said to Zidok, carry the ark of God back to the city. If I have found favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show, show me both in and his dwelling place. Here's what's funny. They brought the ark. No doubt they were like, David, dude, we got the ark on our side. Pfft. Wait till they come to get us. We got the ark. 
God ain't going to let nothing. David knew he didn't need the ark. He had the Lord. Amen? But he also knew that the ark belonged in Jerusalem in the tabernacle, right? They're going to build a temple. Solomon was going to build a great temple. But in the place where it is now, he said that's where the ark belongs because that's where the sacrifices take place. See, David doesn't want to take the opportunity for people to worship away from them. He doesn't want to steal that from them. He cares about the people even if they don't care about him. That's a good king. Can I get an amen to that? He cares about the people even if, they don't, if they're cursing his name. He puts others in front of himself. You've heard me talk about joy. Jesus, others, yourself. Amen? If you put Jesus first, others second, yourself last, you'll have joy because even if you're offended, you're last on the list anyway. So get over it. Can I get an amen? And so he says, no, no, we're not taking the ark. That's not some relic we're going to drag around, think it's going to make God be on our side. Put that back. Ask the Philistine how, Philistines how it works out when you take it when you're not supposed to. Golden hemorrhoids. It's in the book. It's in the Bible. We taught on it. Can I get an amen to that? So he said, carry the ark back into the city. If I found favor, I'll come back. Here's what he's saying. You know what? If this is God's punishment for me, Pastor Dave paraphrased a little bit here. If this is God's punishment for me because of what I did with Bathsheba and God's going to bring punishment to me and I'm going to die in the wilderness, okay. The ark should be in Jerusalem so they can worship. But you know what? If God brings me back, I'm going to be glad that the ark is where it belongs, in Jerusalem. Can I get an amen to that? So in either case, he says it should be there, but he also still believes in his heart and knows that God has called him. David is saying, I'm in the hands of the Lord. If he's using these circumstances to chastise me, so be it. As long as I'm in the hands of the Lord. Here's the reality. Guys, as long as we're in the hands of the Lord, it shouldn't matter where we are. Amen? I'm I'm in God's hands. He can put me wherever he wants. Now, he is reminded in his mind, back in chapter 12, Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David's wondering, is this God bringing his judgment? Maybe it is. And if it is, the ark belongs where it is now. Boy. Let's finish the chapter. You get pastors preaching, that's what happens, amen? But if he says, I have no delight in you, verse 26... Here I am, let him do to me as as seems good to him. He's saying, Lord, if the Lord's going to judge me, let him judge me. Read Psalm 3 later. This is a psalm that he wrote when he fled from Absalom. And part of it, he just basically says, you know, that he's trusting in the Lord. He says, save me, O God, for you have struck all my enemies. You have broken their teeth. Your blessing is upon me. But he's also letting God know, I know this might be time for my judgment. Verse 27. The king also said to Zayach, are you not a seer or a prophet? Return to the city in peace, you two, uh, your two sons also, Ahamazaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness till the word comes to me from you to inform me. He's saying, look, you guys are prophets of Israel. God is using you. Go back there. And if you hear anything from the Lord, if the Lord shows you something, I'll be waiting to hear from you. So David's not going to respond till he hears from the Lord. He's waiting upon the Lord. That's what you and I need to do. Verse 29. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David tells them, they respond, and what he's doing, it may seem that he's giving more power to uh, Absalom by having the ark, but what he's doing is honoring the Lord. Point number six, by being willing to let go of everything to obey the Lord, verse 30 and 31. 
So David went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives. He wept as he went up. He had his head covered and went barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And then David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Abraham, uh, of Ahithophel, into foolishness. He says, Oh Lord, I know that he's a wise man, but Lord, turn what he says into foolishness because he's aligning himself with someone who's coming against you. He's willing to let go of everything. He's willing to let go of Jerusalem. He's willing to let go of being the king. He's willing to let go of anything that the Lord wants him to let go of. We need to be in that place. Sometimes we complain when God takes things away. And God knows what he's doing. We need to trust him. Finally, verse 32 to 37, by seeking wisdom from the Lord in prayer. So David's going out into the wilderness. He's got his 600 guys. He's got a few of his family members. He's got a, a tie and, and a few of his followers. They're out in the middle of the wilderness or headed that way. Verse 32. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped God. David is losing the city. David is walking away from being the king. David could be complaining. Instead, he's worshiping. That is a great lesson for all of us. Can I get an amen? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Whatever I'm going through, God is still on the throne, and he's still faithful, and he loves me. And Lord, no matter what, I'm going to praise you. I didn't get the job I wanted. I'm going to praise you. I didn't get that, you know, whatever those things you wanted, it didn't work out for me. I've been mistreated. Somebody is speaking evil against me. I don't deserve it, Lord, but I'm still going to praise you. As Job said, shall I praise you in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? He worshiped God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn and dust on his head. Now, here's another one of his counselors, but when he comes out, he's mourning because he knows what's happened to David. This is a man who is aligned with David still. David said to him, if you go on with me, then you're going to become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may be able to defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. Hey, if you want to serve me, go back into town and go back and serve my son. And when he gets counsel, steer him away from it. He's going to attack me. You can serve me better being there. Verse 35. And do not have Zadok and Abithar the priest with you there? And will you not? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abithar the priest. Indeed, they have, they have there with them their sons, Ahamahaz, Zadok's son, Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city and Absalom came into Jerusalem. We'll close with this. When David came into Jerusalem, he came in as a, an anointed conqueror. When Absalom comes into Jerusalem, he comes in as a conniving deceiver. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, how did Jesus enter? He came in as a humble servant and king. David came into Jerusalem with a heart to serve God. Absalom's coming into Jerusalem with a heart to be served by everyone else and to be in a position of authority and to steal something that doesn't belong to him. Well, keep coming on Thursdays because it's going to get gnarly with Absalom. Stuff's coming. 
Here's the good news. God's in control. Amen? You know, he just prayed. Oh, God, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. Lord, could you defeat the counsel of Ahithophel? He's a pretty mighty counselor. Could you defeat his counsel and up off Sushai? Hey, David, I'm with you, bro. Oh, answer to prayer. I need you to go down and make sure when Ahithophel talks that you snuff it out. Can I get an amen? Sometimes when God answers prayer, it's a person that he brings. Can I get an amen to that? You'll pray, and then God will bring someone to be that source of encouragement to come alongside you. I know that was a lot. I know we went a little long. Forgive me. So, not thy will, not not my will, but thy will be done. We saw the selfishly seeking your will at any cost. Boy, Absalom making a name for himself, making sure everybody noticed him, getting people to align with him, telling people whatever they wanted to hear. We're going to see that's not going to, he's going to get what he wants, but not for long. He manipulates the people. He's attacking authority in hopes that they will retreat, and they do. He thinks everything he's plotted out, I'm such a wise man. Look what I've done. We're going to find out how that works out. And then learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. David does so many things so contrary to what he could have done as this mighty warrior that he's been his whole life. Instead of attacking in a bloodbath in Jerusalem, he chooses to retreat. He weeps and mourns over Jerusalem. He doesn't take the ark with him. He sends it back because he cares more about the people than he cares about himself. David's an enigma, but boy, in this chapter, he's acting like a godly man. Can I get an amen? And we're going to see how God responds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. I know there's a lot of verses and a lot in here. A lot for us to learn. Lord, help us to not be manipulated by the world, to not be moved by someone seeking position or authority. Lord, may we be those who submit to you who honor you, who love you, who serve you, no matter what. I love how Attiah decided to go with David, knowing that whatever happened to David would happen with him. Lord, we know that deciding to follow you, choosing to follow you and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with you, that we too may face some of what you face. But Lord, may we be willing to do that because of what you've done for us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...